Open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 1 and Job chapter 23. Luke chapter 1 and Job chapter 23. Now, if you don't have a Bible with you, just look under the chair in front of you. There's a Bible there. And if you'll just open your Bible, if you go to the middle and go back just a little bit, you'll find Job. So Luke chapter 1 and Job chapter 23. Let's actually go over to Luke chapter 2, and then we'll go back to 1 in a few minutes. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much for coming at Christmas. And we know it wasn't on December 25th. We know that. But Lord, today we do take time to appreciate and to celebrate the fact that you did come. And Lord, help us have a better understanding of that and what your word says about it today. In Jesus' name, amen. Look at Luke chapter 2 and verse 1. You may have heard this passage before. It says, And it came to pass in those days. Now, how many of you already, those of you who attend Grace Baptist Church, what jumped out at you already? Those days. Anytime you see those days, look for a reference to what the world will be like before the return of Jesus Christ at His second coming. So when you see in those days, there will always be something about either the tribulation period or the coming of Christ. Every time you find those days in your Bible. So here, those days, this is what it's going to be like before Jesus Christ returns the second time. But it's obviously a description of what it was like when He came the first time. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Now, just to tie that together, my message is not a prophecy message today, but what is going to happen when there's a one-world economy and a one-world government? There'll be a one-world taxation. Isn't that interesting the way all of that ties together in your Bible? So, it says in verse 2, "...and this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone to his own city." And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. You might want to see that the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid in him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. There were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon him. I can never read that without thinking of Linus. And lo, the angel of the Lord. You know how he said that. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, 
The shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child. Concerning this child. How about that account? Now, that is the story of Christmas, isn't it? That's the story of Christmas. And, of course, we live in a time where there are lots of stories. You know, there are weird stories like the donkey nester or something. You know, there's, there's all kinds of stories that happen around Christmas time. The little drummer boy. I heard one of the guys on the NFL Network say it's not Christmas until he hears Neil Diamond say, Pa-rum-pa-pum-pum. <laughs> these, uh, th- these stories that come together around Christmas time to where it almost becomes like a myth or a legend. But it's interesting that the man that God used to write this account, the man that God used to write the Gospel of Luke, his name, by coincidence, was Luke. And He was, by profession, a man of science. He was a doctor. Remember that the four Gospels all present a different aspect of Jesus Christ. Matthew presents him as the king of the Jews, and it's a very Jewish book. Mark presents Jesus Christ as a suffering servant, and it's a very Roman book. Luke presents Jesus Christ as the perfect man, and there's a lot of Greek-type thinking in it. The Hellenism and the, the high thoughts about man and the scriptures of man are found in the Gospel of Luke. And, of course, John presents Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And that presents the deity of Jesus Christ and the fullness of the Godhead in him bodily, as the book of Colossians says. But it's interesting that the book that presents Jesus Christ as a perfect man is written by a doctor. And that doctor had examined many people. He understood the medicine of that day. And as he describes these things, God has chosen a man of science to describe amazing miracles in the scriptures. But before we get into those miracles, put a marker there in Luke chapter 1, and let's go to that Job 23. And we're going to look at a few Old Testament passages to try to get an understanding of what the world was like before Jesus Christ came. What was the world that Jesus Christ stepped into? So Job, of course, knew God, and God presented Job as the holiest man on the earth. And yet, look at Job's relationship with God. In verse, so we're Job chapter 23, look at verse 8. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. Can you imagine having faith in something that the only thing he had were a few books of the Bible. That's all he had. That's it. And a sacrificial system. That was the relationship that Job had with God. That was the world before Jesus Christ came. Look at Isaiah chapter 55. Verse 8. Now, while this passage is still obviously true, Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 8, I think the view that Isaiah had and the view that you and I have are different. Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 8. God speaking says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. 
For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, is that true? For all of us who believe the Bible, obviously God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how high they are. And it's interesting, the more that man learns, the higher God's thoughts are. Remember, we've said this before, that when Isaiah was writing this, if he looked up, he could count possibly 2,000 stars with the naked eye. Well, then the telescope was invented. And now you could count many more thousands. But that didn't mean that man knew more. That that meant that's how much higher God's thoughts were than man's thoughts. Now we have the Hubble telescope and we can see different galaxies. And yet, the farther we can see, that's how much farther God's thoughts are than our thoughts. The more we learn, the farther above us God actually is. We do not bring God down. The more we learn, the more we find out we do not know. And as much as Luke knew, yet we know more than he does about science and about medicine and about DNA and all of those things. And yet when we discover that DNA, as we've said before, we discover that that DNA is a word. And the Bible says, in the beginning was the word and we were created in his image and in his likeness. See, the more that science learns, the more we find out that God's thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. His ways are so much higher than our ways. But imagine the thoughts that Job had and imagine the thoughts that Isaiah had. They had no concept of who Jesus was. They had no concept of it. But they did know that they were accountable to a holy God for their sin. Look at uh, Psalm chapter 38. Psalm 38 and verse 1. This was man's relationship with God. Psalm 38, 1. O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. For thine arrows stick fast in me, and thy hand presseth me sore. There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger. Neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. For mine iniquities are gone over mine head as an heavy burden. They are too heavy. For me. And there was no way to lift them. See, what would happen was the high priest would go in once a year and make a sacrifice. But that sacrifice had to be made every year because the Bible says that there was remembrance of sin every year. That's what the world was like before Jesus Christ came. That's what it was like. The Bible makes it very clear that for us, I am, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. The Bible says very clearly that we are not appointed unto wrath, but unto salvation through Jesus Christ. We're looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who died that He might redeem us from all iniquity. His iniquities are on His head like a burden. He's redeemed us from all iniquity and to purify unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. So when Jesus Christ came, everything changed. And yet at Christmas time, we hear about the little drummer boy or we hear about Nestor the donkey or we hear about elves and whatever. And so what happens is the account that we just read in Luke chapter 2, it just becomes mixed up In all of the fantasy and all of the stories of the holiday. But what I want you to see, go back to Luke chapter 1. What I want you to see very clearly in the word of God, that it's not a fanciful account. 
It's not a myth. It's not a legend. Luke chapter 1. Look at verse 1. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us. Here's a good question for you. Is Christianity most surely believed among you? That's what Luke's writing about. Even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. So these things were written down. Those who were eyewitnesses, they, they actually read those things. But they were physical eyewitnesses of those accounts. Verse 3. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus. So what some people believe is that Theophilus was a wealthy man who had actually paid Luke to write this account. Now, that's pure speculation. I know the Holy Spirit had him write it down. We know that. But it is addressed to Theophilus, whoever Theophilus was. Verse 4. I hope you have this verse marked in your Bible. That thou mightest know the... What's that word? Certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. It's very clear... The Apostle Luke, the man of science, is telling us, I was there. These things happened. Now, he was not there at the birth of Jesus Christ. And yet the Holy Spirit of God confirmed in him that these things are certain. And it is interesting that this man of science, this man Luke, that God gave him the opportunity to write two miraculous events that took place. Two miraculous conceptions. And only Luke gives both of those. And wouldn't you think that would be interesting to a doctor? Two miraculous conceptions. Let's look at the first one. Verse 5. There was in the days of Herod. So we're in Luke chapter 1 and verse 5. Now, do you see those first two words of verse 5? There was. This is not some myth. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the, look at this, of the course of Abiah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So this was a priestly family. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. So they were believers. And they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren. And they both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God... In the order of his course. So in the order of his course, there were certain times when different tribes and different groups of priests were allowed to go into the temple. In verse, verse 9, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. Okay, so this was his Super Bowl. All right, this was most priests had this opportunity one time in their life to actually burn incense in the temple. This was the high point of his life, but what he didn't know was it was going to get higher. And look at what the Bible says. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. So outside they're praying while he goes inside. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. He wasn't expecting that. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. And as we always say, you would be the same way. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zechariah, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Now remember, this is the doctor who's saying these two old people are going to have a baby. Interesting. 
And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. As a matter of fact, Jesus Christ said of men born among women, and that's all of them, there's none greater than John. Can you imagine Jesus saying that about you? For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. Very special person. We don't get the Holy Ghost until we're saved. John had the Holy Ghost in his mother's womb. Very unique person. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias, that's Elijah, that's the Greek pronunciation of the Hebrew name Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and though disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, Zacharias was a holy man. He was a believer. He was walking in the commandments of God. He did believe that the Messiah was going to come, but this was just too much for him. I'm old. There's no way this is going to happen. How many of you have ever asked someone to do something, asked you to do something, and your first thought is, I'm too old? Has that ever happened? Absolutely. We, um, my wife, on the other day, Friday, we went shopping, and we decided that we were going to go and, and go see a movie. And so we were, she had the idea of walking to the movie theater, but it's raining, it was far, it was cold, we weren't going to make it. So we left them and Jacob and I were walking to get the car, but we were in a hurry because it was going to start and we were going to get there on time. And what I realized is I can't walk as fast as Jacob anymore. We were in a hurry. The spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. Son, you're going to have to slow down. And then the other thing, this started to irritate me a little bit. We're walking, and he's walking like right here. You're going to have to back up, Jake. You're not in front of me right now. Not yet. A few more years from now. And so then he got directly behind me, and he said, how's that? And I said, perfect. Just exactly right. All of us have been asked to do something we can't do because of our age. And that's exactly what's going on here with Zacharias. And look at what Zacharias says unto him. Verse 18. And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife well stricken in years. So notice what he's asking. He's asking a physical question. He's asking a, a scientific question. You know, there are some laws involved here, some laws of biology involved here, and we have a problem. That's what Zechariah is bringing up. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel. Can't you just see it? Do you know who's talking to you? I am Gabriel. This is the same Gabriel that spoke to Daniel. Hundreds of years before. He's the messenger of God for Israel. That's who he is. He is the angel for the people of God. And he's telling this guy, I'm bringing you a message from God. And now he says, what? The angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these things glad tidings. I'm sorry, and to show you these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed. Can you imagine what a bummer that was? Here's a, a priest. 
What do priests do? We talk. That's what priests do for a living. And now he's got the greatest, on the, on the greatest day of his life, he got even greater news, and because he didn't believe God, now he can't even tell anybody. Everybody's outside waiting for him. Verse 20 again, And behold, thou shalt be dumb, and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words which shall be fulfilled in their season. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. So what did he do? They're waiting for him, and he's... He couldn't say it. He couldn't talk. So then look at what happens. Verse 23. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days, do you see that phrase again? You'll see it all through this account. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach from among men. And in the sixth month, do you, do you see the doctor's description? How far along are you? You know, is it, guys, I know you guys are with me on this. You know, how far along? Well, she's 27 weeks. What does that mean? I, you're going to have to break it down a little bit more for me. Yeah, she's going to have a baby, you know, in, in a few months, right? This is very precise. Six months along. Now, Dr. E, you understand these things. You can help me out later on to have the interpretation. <laughs> and in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto the city of Galilee named Nazareth, Nazareth to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So you have this repetition of virgin. God wants us to be sure of what's happening here. And this doctor understood exactly what that meant. And he's giving us an amazing account. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. So there are two announcements in this chapter. There's the announcement of a restoration of physical things by allowing Zacharias and Elizabeth to have a baby. That's the restoration of something that could have been earlier. This is something completely new that has never happened before. Two amazing and miraculous conceptions that the angel is announcing. Verse 31, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and shalt bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. And he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Now look at what Mary asks. Then said Mary unto, this, unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Now, why didn't the angel strike her dumb, take away her ability to speech because of this question? 
Because she's not asking a physical question. She's asking a moral question. I'm a virgin. It would be unrighteous for me to know a man before I'm married. How is this going to happen? And the angel gives the answer. And the angel, verse 35, answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So now we have this special announcement, but here's something that's really interesting. You know, what people say often is that this is a miracle and that miracles are impossible, that they can't happen. And the reason that miracles can't happen, according to the skeptics, is that they violate the laws of nature. But the laws of nature are nothing more than descriptions of what normally happens. The laws of nature are nothing more than descriptors or descriptions of what normally happens. But God is not a prisoner of those regulations, and he can enter in or out of those any time he chooses. Because if the laws of nature are descriptions of what normally happens, then by definition, a miracle is a violation of the laws of nature, which is why they're called miracles. That's how that works. This announcement, it's such an amazing thing. The first announcement is God restoring nature because they were old. The second announcement is something completely new. And that thing that was completely new is that God would become a man. See, when David, the psalmist, was saying all of his iniquities are on him, when Job was saying, I look for God and I can't find him, when Isaiah is writing that his ways are higher than my ways, our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, all of those things are true, and they didn't have any understanding of who he was. And that's why in the book of Hebrews it says, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things and by whom he made the worlds. It says, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. And right now he is seated at the right hand of God making intercession for his saints. And one day he's coming back to claim his own and then he will claim his rightful place, not on his father's throne, but on his own throne in Jerusalem. That is that king that is announced in Luke chapter 2. And he will sit on the throne of his father David and of his kingdom. There shall be no end. That's the Savior that came at Bethlehem. But notice what happens here. Look at verse 36. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. What faith Mary had. So now verse 39, this is interesting. So now this thing has happened. She is with child of the Lord, but there were no visible signs of this happening. Look at the next verse. And Mary arose in those days. Do, do you see how that's a repetition there again? And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah, and entered into the house of Zacharias, and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, that's hello, the babe leapt in her womb, 
And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. So the baby was filled with the Holy Ghost. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And those of you who don't believe that it's actually a child, I think this verse would help. The baby is filled and then Elizabeth is filled. Two different people. Are you with me on that? Two different people. All right. Verse 42. So this is Elizabeth. She's filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Now look at this question. I don't know if I've ever noticed the question this way until this morning. And whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Do you know what she's saying right there? She knew through the Holy Spirit that before any visible signs that this baby had been conceived, that she was carrying her Messiah. You see, what is this account about? What happens? That within this structure and framework of a nine-month pregnancy, within that framework of Elizabeth's supernatural pregnancy with John, That's the framework that God inserts the account of Mary. These two supernatural conceptions. These two supernatural births. You see, it's not a fiction. It's not a legend. It's not a myth. It's a historical account that we can know with certainty happened. And it is interesting that later on, Jesus was somewhere between two or three years old and the wise men came. So do we have, we have shepherds who are the poorest of the poor and the wise men who are the richest of the rich and the most educated coming around the birth of Jesus Christ, one at his birth and later at his infancy. And what did those wise men bring? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And that's where the legend comes. And it is a legend that there were three. We don't have any idea how many there were. We just know they brought three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold for his deity, frankincense for his priesthood and myrrh for his death. Remember what they came to anoint Jesus' body with at the tomb? Myrrh. You know, in the kingdom, in the book of Isaiah, they bring Jesus Christ gifts the Messiah, and they only bring him gold and frankincense because he will never die again. That's our Savior. That's the one we're looking for. And because of those gifts, that's why we exchange gifts at Christmas. And for many people, the, the exchanging of the Christmas gifts is their favorite part about Christmas. And I hope that maybe as we draw ourselves to the Scriptures that our favorite part about Christmas will be the acknowledgement of who Jesus Christ is. But it is interesting that when we give gifts, we have something that we want to accomplish as we're giving these gifts. Um, When we give a gift, what are we doing? I don't know about you guys, but, you know, as a child, my favorite thing was to open the gifts. And remember when the kids are really little, they're more interested in the box than what was in the box, right? And then as they get older, that changes. But as a child, I was more interested in the, in the gift, in receiving a gift. Now, man, it's still fun to get gifts. Anybody tells you that, I, that there's something wrong with them. It's still fun to get gifts, but it's more fun to watch people open the gifts that you've given them. Especially when it's a thoughtful gift, when you've worked hard to find something. So don't tell Laura, I got her a a rototiller for (laughs) Christmas. 
So it's about time she grew her own vegetables. I'm tired of going to the grocery store. <laughs> How many of you think that would not be a thoughtful gift? Okay, and don't worry, I did not buy you a rototiller. One of my favorite things about Christmas is, is giving someone a gift that I've put thought into and that that thought is received and that they realize that this, was a, this, this wasn't just, oh, yeah, I forgot. I had this extra thing laying around and I'm going to give it to you. It's that it was a special gift. That's fun, isn't it? And then as we get older, when we give gifts, and whether you're around the tree, however you do it, and you're giving those gifts, the thought, the hope is that you give that gift and the recipient of that gift will spend time with you. It's interesting that the older you get, the less you're really interested in the gifts other than buying them and giving them, and the more you're interested in your family coming together and your loved ones being with you at that holiday. Because as you give that gift, that gift is saying, I love you. And in response to that love, I want you to also love me and spend time with me. So what happened was we have a God who created the world. And we have a Savior who entered into the world. The Bible says that the Word became flesh. But God did something really amazing. The message of Christmas. Remember, the Bible says for, for the whole world. Every gift that is given, the only way that the originator of that gift comes from the generosity of God. Every good and perfect gift is from above, from the Father of lights. I can't give you a gift without having the capacity to buy that gift. I can't have the capacity to buy that gift unless God gave me the capacity to work and the ability to do those things. The only way I can give you anything the only way you can give me anything is because we have a gracious creator and God who has given us the ability to do that. Amen? But here's the message of Christmas. The message of Christmas is that the ultimate giver, listen, actually became the ultimate gift. The giver became the gift and offered himself. And do you know what he wants from that? He wants us to spend time with Him. See, remember what the Bible says. We beheld His glory, John 1. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But what does the Bible say about that? Remember verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Later on in the chapter it says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's where that next verse comes. And we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. Remember what the disciples said, show us the Father. And Jesus said, have I been with you so long and still you don't know? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's the express image of the Father. We can now know who God is because Jesus Christ came. The giver became the gift. Let me ask you a question. Have you received that gift? See, that's what Christmas is about. Jesus Christ came and became a man to give you the gift of not only eternal life, but the gift of His indwelling and eternal presence. That's what He came to give us. Imagine this. 
someone makes you a beautiful dinner. And you go to that dinner, and there's a, there's a turkey and all the fixings, and it's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen, the most beautiful dinner, the most beautiful room, and you go in there, and the lady who made the dinner, she's sitting there, and she's trying to talk to you, and you completely ignore her, never say a word to her. You get done eating, and it's kind of awkward, and she's thinking, well, maybe you just don't want to talk while you eat, and you get done, and she gets up, and you look at her and say, lovely dinner, but I'm not remotely interested in you. Can you imagine? See, what people do is they look out at the world and they say, it's a lovely world, God, but I am not remotely interested in you. That creator became the gift. So how do we receive that gift? There's one condition, and that condition is repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of action. Repentance is saying, God, I don't believe in you. I repent of that. I believe in you. Or, God, I have believed in you, but I've been believing in you and my good works. I've been believing in you and other things. Jesus Christ was born, lived that sinless life, born of a virgin, lived that sinless life, died on that cross, was buried for three days and three nights, rose from the dead with more than 500 witnesses, eyewitnesses of his resurrection, proving that he was, is, and always will be God. If you will believe that all of that is true, you will repent of your sins, realizing that your sin is bad enough to take you to hell, that your condition is that condition that David spoke of in Psalm chapter 38 at the beginning of the message. And if you ask Jesus Christ, Lord, I can't save myself. I don't deserve to be saved, but please save me. If you'll do that, He will. How many of you know that Jesus Christ has already saved you? What a wonderful thing that is. Let's make this Christmas the most wonderful and Christ-centered Christmas we've ever had. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Lord, we love you. And-